What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and today we're talking about how to become a DJ. Now, today we'll be covering a nine-step process to help you along on your journey. Now, this guide comes in three different formats, the written guide on our website, a nine-part series on YouTube, or an audio podcast form using your favorite podcast app. Now, any of these will work, but to get the most out of it, the best way is to take a little bit of time, sit down, and visit the written guide at passionatedj.com slash howtodj. That's all one word. Now, that way you can watch the videos and follow along the article for resources. Now, since its original form in 2013, this guide has helped literally thousands of beginner DJs to get their start. But, of course, it's up to you to take real action. So, without further ado, let's learn about DJing. Now, first things first, if this is your first time checking out Passionate DJ, welcome aboard. You know, this will be a little bit different than our normal episodes of the podcast, which feature my amazing co-hosts, Tony DeSero, Trip Turlington, and Mo Dingo. Now, sometimes we also feature special guests who may have helpful information or inspirational stories to share. Now, those episodes are way more like listening into a conversation. And plus, not every episode is going to be so beginner-focused as this one. So if you're not a beginner DJ, please consider subscribing so that you can see what else we have to offer. Also, please know that after you're done with today's show, the conversation continues over on our free private Facebook group. You can join us there now by visiting passionatedj.com community. Now, step one in your journey is learning what DJs do. And actually, defining the word DJ is pretty simple. A DJ, your disc jockey, is a person who hosts pre-recorded music for an audience. Simple. But there are many different kinds of DJs and many reasons for them to exist. So before we start your journey into DJing, let's take a quick dive into what they actually do. And we're going to start with club DJs. Now, every club has a different feel, reputation, and audience, which means that they vary in what's expected from their musical selection. Now, normally the club DJ's job is maintaining a moving dance floor. Club DJs may perform long blends, also known as transitions, between songs or some other trickery to keep people's feet moving. Now, when a DJ performs at a venue regularly or permanently, they're called a resident DJ. They must know how to ramp the energy up and down, maintaining the balance between an active dance floor and a busy bar. Now, of course, we say club DJs, but those who have built a following may also perform at bars, uh, music venues, festivals, and so on. So next up, let's talk about mobile DJs. You know, these are the DJs that perform at your wedding or a corporate event, something like that. These are DJ entrepreneurs, and mobile DJs have a lot to keep track of. They may be solely responsible for the setup and teardown of equipment, uh, planning the show, managing the crowd, uh, making any announcements. They probably should be comfortable taking requests or, in some cases, even entire playlists, uh, speaking into a microphone, and investing in sound equipment. Of course, we can't skip over the radio DJ. I mean, the entire concept of DJing owes its origins to radio. Now, this could be the person who announces the weather between the songs or the person who actually selects the music. And while many corporate radio DJs have lost control over the music, you might argue that that art lives on in podcast format. And of course, then there's turntablists and other performance-based DJs. 
Now people go see them because of their skill, reputation, and what they can do behind the decks. Their mixes are displays of raw dexterity, impressive tricks, and clever transitions. You know, these are your exhibitionist DJs, and in addition to turntablists who focus on cutting and scratching, there are also controllerists and other live performers who are basically trying to show off their skills. They play their gear like it's a musical instrument, and listening to them without watching is kind of like only getting half of the story. Now, those are some basic types of DJs, but what about producers? Well, people confuse DJing and production quite a lot. While DJing is hosting pre-recorded music to an audience, producing is the original creation or recording of music. Look, to put it in simple terms, someone produces a techno song, and then a techno DJ might play that song at a festival. Now, it may seem confusing because many performances are hybrids of these two things, and when the creator and the performer is the same person, you might call them a DJ producer. The point is that there are many different types of performers. Some of them are strictly DJs, some of them play a live PA complete with hardware synthesizers, drum machines, and stuff like that, and you know, some land in between. Basically, it's a whole spectrum. So that's pretty much it for part one. Now, before we get into a topic that's so in-depth as this, I feel that it's kind of important to make sure we all understand and agree on what we're talking about. So in part two, we're going to discuss goals, and then after that, we'll get into some real action items for you. And so that way you could start mixing that sweet, sweet music. But note that the point of this guide is not to teach you any specific DJ software or to teach you every single skill that you're going to need to become good at DJing. This guide is a very top-level view, and it should apply no matter what your hardware or mixing style. But if you're looking for actual DJ courses, you know, the kind that you pay for, which teaches the actual software and skills needed one by one, we're glad to recommend some courseware by one of our affiliates. In fact, I've put some links for you in the guide and in the description box of this episode. And remember, if you're struggling with something specific, there's probably somebody in our Facebook group ready to help out. Just hit up passionatedj.com slash community and it'll forward you right there. Alright, so step two of how to become a DJ, determining your goals. Now, why do we care about this? Why can't we just dive right into the good stuff? Well, let's get real for a second. What is it that you're after here? I mean, do you have stars in your eyes? Do you want to start a business? Do you want to host your own podcast? Are you just doing this for fun? Look, there are loads of reasons that you might want to start down this path. But the most important thing is to be completely honest about what those reasons are. So let's talk about some of them. First, maybe you want a DJ for the income. Now, for some people, DJing is a career. For others, it's a side income or a way to earn play money. Now, if you want a DJ as your job, here are a few hurdles that you may encounter. There's oversaturation, or when there's more DJs than paying gigs. Undercharging, getting too little pay, usually because you don't know what you're worth. Not providing enough value to be needed. And finding a money-making strategy that works for you. As with any other art form, getting a repeatable income may require some strategy or some other creative approach. I mean, look, getting paid to DJ may not be as direct as here's $150 for 90 minutes. 
Now, whether you earn money by being the best wedding DJ in your area and charging a premium, by throwing shows and selling merch, or by earning tips in a weekly live stream, really the key is finding out what angle works for you. Now, of course, maybe the money entirely doesn't matter to you, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, some people just want to DJ for the love. And now I have a confession to make. In step one, I actually skipped a major category, which is the bedroom DJ. You see, for some people, DJing is purely hobby. They do it solely for the enjoyment of mixing music. It's like personal music therapy. I mean, maybe they'll take the occasional $50 birthday gig or play an open decks night somewhere, but really, they're in it for the love of mixing, curating, or listening to music. Now, DJing as a hobby can be very uplifting since there are no bounds or restrictions other than to have fun. But beware of the infamous gear acquisition syndrome. In other words, it's hard not to buy new toys just because you can. Now, there's another category for people that I'd like to address, and that's those of you who are getting into DJing because you have a desire for fame or fortune. Look, one of the most common questions that I've received over the years in doing this guide is, how can I become a world-famous DJ? Or how can I tour the world doing this? How can I get rich and famous? And I just think to myself... Wouldn't I be a superstar DJ if I could answer that question? Here's the reality check. Many people become DJs, but very few become superstars. You need to be insanely talented, lucky, or probably both. You have to hustle, you have to love it, and really you have to work on it even when it sucks. So don't count on success if your sole purpose here is to get rich and famous. Now hold up, hold up, hold up. That's not to say that you can't make any money or build a following. I mean, you definitely can. But the point is to discard the thought that DJing is an easy way to be famous. It's not. So overall, some DJs love sharing music with a receptive audience. Some use it as a source of income, and others attempt to use it as a tool to get laid. But whatever the reason is, identify it so that you can act accordingly. All right, all right, it's time to start taking action. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the different DJ platforms that exist and maybe some reasons that you might choose one over another. How to become a DJ, step three, exploring DJ software. So, okay, how do you decide which DJ platform to go with? I mean, there are a lot of options these days, but there are three main ones that I'd like to focus on today. Now, first, there's Rekordbox. That's Pioneer's music management platform for DJs. It can be used to import music, create playlists, set cue points, and do any of that other prep work in your music collection. Now, export mode allows you to copy that library to a USB drive and then play it on hardware, like a Pioneer CDJ. And then there's performance mode, which is where your laptop acts as the DJ players. Your mixing could be done virtually using a keyboard and mouse, or with an approved hardware unlock device. Now, that would be something like a Pioneer DJ controller. Now everything we just talked about can be done for free, but they do offer a subscription model for additional features. They're enabling performance mode on more types of hardware, uh, DVS support, cloud sync, and other features like that. So let's be clear, 
Pioneer DJ is sort of the industry standard for professional clubs and venues, so this makes Pioneer's platform worth considering. If you'd like to bring only a USB stick to a gig, but you'd like to use your laptop in other situations, like maybe DJing at home, Rekordbox is the obvious choice. Now next up is Serato. You've probably heard of it, as it's among the smoothest and sturdiest pieces of DJ software that's available today. Now, they don't make any hardware of their own. They actually work with other manufacturers to ensure smooth operation and tight integration with no real setup required. Serato DJ Lite is free, reliable, and intuitive DJ software for mixing in two channels. Many budget DJ controllers will ship with this software. And thanks to practice mode, you don't even need any hardware to start DJing. Now, should you decide to upgrade later, that transition can be made pretty easily. Now, with Serato DJ Pro, you actually get access to the full professional DJ suite. Now, this version costs $129, and there's additional packs that are available for adding cool features and stuff. However, it can be used for free when you buy approved Pro hardware, and plus there is also a free trial available. Now, the great thing about Serato is that it's fully supported by over 90 pieces of hardware. Seriously, no other software can claim this level of variety, which means that you have a lot of options. Plus, due to its roots in turntablism, Serato is also pretty popular among scratch DJs. Finally, there's Traktor. This software by Native Instruments supports some really great performance features for DJs, but getting the most out of this software requires you to own official Native Instruments hardware, and admittedly, there are only a few options. It's pretty popular in the world of techno and among DJ producers due to its remix decks and stems abilities. A Tractor Pro 3 costs $99 by itself, and it will work without hardware, but any official Tractor controller will include the software. Plus, again, a free demo is also available. Now, that relationship between the software and hardware is very tight and reliable. It's pretty much a closed system, kind of like an Apple environment versus Windows. And it is true that sometimes it lags behind other companies when it comes to certain features. But major updates do tend to come along with some pretty innovative features, such as the really nifty uh, force feedback function of a Control S4 Mark III. Plus, Tractor does have one of the best effects engines in the business. Alright, so out of these three, which is the right choice? Well, again, Rekordbox is a great choice if you want to learn the quote-unquote industry standard, if you plan on playing large venues, or of course, if you own Pioneer hardware. If you're into turntablism, or you just want a lot of hardware options to choose from, I would consider looking into Serato. And perhaps choose Tractor if you're an electronic DJ slash producer and you kind of want to merge these two worlds together. Now, of course, like all things, this is going to come down to personal preference. So try these different platforms out for yourself and just see which one is going to resonate with you. Now, of course, these aren't the only three options out there. There are two others which I feel are worth mentioning here. First is Virtual DJ, which actually claims to be the most downloaded DJ software on Earth. And it's pretty easy to see why. It supports the latest DJ technologies, it's backed by a huge community, and it's entirely free for home use. It's plug-and-play compatible with most DJ controllers on the market, comes with a ton of effects, and it can even do video mixing and karaoke. Now, while it's maybe not as popular in the professional touring circuit, Virtual DJ is used in thousands of venues across the world, from bars and bedrooms alike. 
I also want to mention DJ Pro by Algorithm. Now this is an app-based piece of DJ software that you can run on your mobile device or you can run it on a laptop if you so choose. But this is great software because even though it's pretty powerful in what it can do, even if you don't have a DJ controller, it's also extremely simple to use. Out of the box, you get access to a bunch of streaming services. It's one of the most cross-platform pieces of software in the industry, and the developers really seem like they listen to their community. When it comes down to it, choosing a DJ platform is a matter of preference. But with some demoing and a little bit of online research, you should be able to find the software that works best for you. Now, once again, this guide isn't meant to teach you how to specifically use any piece of software from start to finish. If you're looking for full courses, check the links below this episode for programs that I recommend from one of our partners who actually specialize in that sort of thing. But in the next step, we are going to talk about some basic skills that you should be prepared to learn if you want to become a DJ. In step four of how to become a DJ, we're going to talk about the basic technical skills that DJs use in a live mix. There are four of them which we'll talk about today. There's beat matching, or aligning the timing of two songs so that they're in sync with each other. There's phrasing, or aligning the measures of two songs in an appropriate way. Gain control or keeping track of the various levels of volume, and EQing, or reshaping the audio frequencies. So let's talk about beat matching first. The purpose of beat matching is to get multiple tracks playing at the same tempo and correct phase. Tempo is the speed at which the songs are playing, and phase talks about how the beats of two songs align with each other. Okay, think about it like two cars driving next to each other on the highway. Tempo would be your speed, let's say 60 miles per hour. And phase describes if the two cars are directly next to each other or just a little bit out of alignment. And if one of the cars is behind but starts going 65 miles per hour, the cars will eventually line up and they'll even seem to be in sync for a moment. But eventually, the faster car will pass up the one going 60, so it's going to need to slow down to line back up in phase with the other car. And that's basically how beat matching works. You use your player's pitch fader to adjust the tempo of a song. Then to dial in the phase, you can use either your player's jog wheel or pitch bend button. Or with records, you just touch one of them a little bit. But you might say, David, is it really even necessary to learn how to beat match today when there's such a thing as the sync button? Well, maybe not, but I mean, I truly think it's a great idea anyway. First, it gives you the ability to beat mix on anything. Turntables, for example. But more importantly, it helps to develop and tune your ears so that you know what to listen for. Manual beat matching helps to train your ear and makes you a more confident DJ. Now you can always come back to this later, but I happen to think that learning to beat match early is a great idea. Now, if you're still not convinced, check out my article, 10 Reasons You Should Still Know How to Beat Match by Ear, by visiting passionatedj.com slash beatmatch. All right, next up is phrasing. That's phrasing with an R. Now, this one will make sense to anybody who's ever played a musical instrument. It just means to mix your tracks together at points in the songs which make sense. 
Now, almost all music that you're going to be DJing is in what's called 4-4 time. Whether you play EDM, hip-hop, funk, top 40, and technically this means that there are four beats in a measure, or a bar, and that the quarter note gets one beat. Now, the takeaway here is that you need to learn how to count to four. You count the beat like you're a human metronome. Maybe tap your foot if it helps. Count like this. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now each four count makes up one measure, or what we like to call a bar. So let's count some bars and measures at the same time. One, two, three, four. Two, two, three, four. Three, two, three, four. Four, two, three, four. Five, two, three, four. Six, two, three, four. Seven, two, three, four. Eight, two, three, four. And so on. And basically, the tricky part is trying to keep track of that in two tracks at the same time so that you can kind of align your tracks and start them in a place where they make sense and they will overlay appropriately. Now all this is why most DJs will use multiples of four when bringing in a new track. And usually you'll hear something happen at the end of 16 or 32 bars. Maybe a cymbal crash or a drum fill, for example. And lining up the incoming track in a similar way helps all these elements work together instead of against each other when you're transitioning between these two songs. All right, let's listen to a techno example. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. A little faster tempo this time. Now start listening for clues to kind of tell where the phrasing is. You can hear a buildup starting, and we're going to come to a breakdown here, and then a new beat is going to start. Okay, this time we're going to rewind it a little bit. And we're going to start a new track at the end of that little breakdown when it goes. All right. Okay, so now we have two tracks playing at the same time this track and this track. Once again, that's this track, and this track, which together make this. So these two tracks happen to work pretty well together, and you can tell they're phrased properly because you can count them together. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay, moving on to gain control. Now, any DJ rig contains a few different levels of volume adjustment. Now, firstly, each mixer channel has its own gain knob. Now, this lets you adjust the level of a track by watching your meters. Then each channel has a line fader. When you move a line fader up, you're sending that audio to the main output. And your main output has a volume control too. Then, of course, there's the crossfader which lets you fade between channels in a left and right motion. Oh yeah, let's not forget that DJ software has its own game structure too. Yeah, I know, all these layers can start to make things confusing 
So when in doubt, just read the manual. Now, by the way, most DJ software features some sort of auto gain functionality, which can help you minimize the amount of manual adjustment between tracks. But if there is one general rule, it's stay out of the red. Now, different manufacturers meter things in different ways, but red is generally meant as a warning sign. So if you avoid it, you should stay in the clear. If you need more volume, boost it on the amp or speaker side. And then finally, there's EQing or equalizing. Now, EQing is the act of boosting or cutting frequencies so that multiple audio tracks blend together nicely. You know, the majority of your audio space gets eaten up by bass frequencies, especially in dance music. You may not wish to mix two powerful kick drums over one another since they're too loud to combine. So a typical DJ mixer includes a three band EQ, low, mid, and high, which allows you to carve out the audio space for a buttery bl Now when used properly, the EQ is both a useful tool and a means of creative expression. Now, equalization will not fix a bad mix, nor will it work miracles, but we can use it to smooth together multiple audio signals and make our mixes come out with just a little bit more polish. Now if you'd like to learn more about EQ specifically, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to episode 94. In that episode, Tony, Tripp, Mo, and I talk about the audio spectrum, avoiding clashes, phase cancellation, the difference between EQ and filters, and much more nerdy stuff. That show was audio only back then, so it's a good one to save for a long walk or car ride. So let's recap step four, learning basic DJ skills. There's beat matching, where we adjust the tempo and phase of tracks to align them for proper mixing. There's phrasing, which is knowing how to count your songs so that you can align them and mix them in a way that makes sense. There's gain control, or just keeping track of all your levels, with the general rule to be stay out of the red. And then there's equalization, which is carving out or boosting frequencies to help audio tracks blend together. Now I know that's a lot to take in, but I hope that I was able to repackage and explain this in a simple way. We're covering a lot of ground and it's easy to have information overload. So if this guide is being helpful for you at all so far, please do me a favor and just leave a like or a comment wherever you're hearing it. Or if there's something I'm not being clear about, feel free to comment about that too. I'll do my best to address common questions and concerns. And fear not, because in the next section, we're getting into the fun stuff. Step five is all about DJ gear, so stay tuned. All right, step five in our guide for how to become a DJ is getting DJ hardware. Now, while it's possible to get started using only your laptop, you're eventually going to want a little bit more control. So, it's time to look into some hardware. But how do you even know where to aim? Well, let's talk a little bit about the different types of DJ setups that exist. There's the DJ controller option, which is where you connect an all-in-one device to your laptop in order to control DJ software. Then there's the CDJ and mixer setup, where you use CDJs and other standalone media players and a hardware mixer, no laptop required. There's of course the beloved vinyl setup, where you use turntables and a mixer to play vinyl records the old-fashioned way. 
And then there are hybrid versions of these setups. For example, DVS or timecode setups let you control digital music on a laptop using real records. Now if you're just getting started and you're looking to buy your first piece of hardware, I highly recommend going the route of the DJ controller. Now, without a doubt, this is the most sensible way to get started. A modern all-in-one DJ controller contains everything that you need to mix and record music, well, except for a laptop, and options range anywhere from less than $100 to over three grand. So you can really scale it to your available budget. Now CDJ setups are awesome, don't get me wrong. As the so-called industry standard, CDJs can be found in nightclubs, festivals, and arenas all across the world. They were originally designed to play music from compact discs, but modern CDJs and XDJs and other players play digital music stored on USB drives. Now the players are plugged into a hardware DJ mixer. Pioneer CDJs, combined with their DJM mixers, provide a shared platform for DJs, and many venues already have them, and they're kind of the expected standard for any large show. CDJs tend to be more expensive than controller counterparts, but they do offer a level of separation from that laptop. And as for vinyl, well, it's quite a commitment. I mean, records are harder to mix than any of the other listed options. Vinyl is also the most expensive format to buy music on, and in many ways, I mean, it's more limiting than a digital setup. So why would anyone want to go this route? Well, for a lot of people, mixing records is simply fun. I mean, many DJs love that tactile feel of moving the physical record, and many people love watching a real DJ playing real records. And it's also the best route for the pure scratch DJ. Now, this isn't going to be the route for everyone, of course, but for many people, it's the only way. Now, of course, you're welcome to mix, match, and hybridize these setups any way that you see fit. I often use a timecode setup myself, these turntables in combination with a digital DJ controller. I love the feel of mixing records, but I also love the functionality that I gain from software, such as, you know, perfect loops, four-deck mixing, and recording. And I love being able to have my entire digital music collection with me wherever I go. So many people feel that using a timecode setup can give you the best of all worlds, but again, by far the most sensible and scalable way to get started is by investing in a good DJ controller that fits your budget. But David, you cry, there are so many options. How will I ever know what DJ controller is right for me? If only you had a link for that. Well. Fear not, my friends. As you may have guessed, I've put together the perfect resource for just such an occasion. Just head on over to passionatedj.com controllers, and you'll find the controller compendium. Now, that's just one big mega guide, kind of like this one, that compares the top DJ controllers so that you can feel confident before you spend your hard-earned money on them. Now, I give it a major update pretty much every year, and since 2014, it's helped thousands of DJs just like you decide which is the best DJ controller for them. So, once again, that's the controller compendium, passionatedj.com slash controllers. All right, so we're over halfway through our journey towards becoming a DJ. We've talked about the different kinds of DJs and different reasons to become one. We've discussed the different skills that DJs use in their sets. We've explored some DJ software maybe picked a platform that we like, and now we've chosen some basic DJ hardware. Probably a budget-friendly controller of some kind. 
So now it's time to start mixing and recording to see what we really sound like. Once you gain a bit of confidence in your mixing, it's time to record yourself and analyze it. Let's use the knowledge that you've gained thus far and see what you sound like. In step six of how to become a DJ, we're recording a mix. So how do you record a DJ set? Well, if you're DJing with a laptop and a DJ controller, you've actually got it pretty easy here. Most DJ software is capable of recording your set by simply clicking a button. Now, alternatively, you could record directly from your record out ports into a computer's audio input using free software such as GarageBand or Audacity. If you happen to have a compatible Pioneer mixer, you can easily use the DJM Rec app to record mixes using your iPad or iPhone. Another option is to use an external handheld recorder. I put a link to one of these in the guide. You know, a decent portable recorder will cost between $70 and $200. Then you could connect from your mixer or your controller's record out ports to the recorder using a cheap RCA adapter cable. Alright, so some tips on recording your first mix. Now, recording a bedroom mix is a little bit different than playing in front of an audience. Now, some of the skills, which are important in a live setting, such as reading a crowd, don't apply when recording a personal mix. But you can use this opportunity to think about, you know, telling a story with your set. Think about how you want to start, where you want to be when you finish, and how you want to get there. Perhaps you can imagine that you are in front of a crowd and play out that scenario in your head. You see, this is where we teach ourselves not to be mediocre. Novice DJs tend to hammer out their banger tracks one after another for an hour or two. There's no sense of ebb and flow, no sense of direction. You know, most people will find this boring and tiresome. Of course, you are the DJ and you have the creative license to play however you wish. But I suggest learning how to think of a DJ set in the context of the whole instead of its individual parts. This is what separates decent DJs from great ones. Now, I like to approach a recorded mix like it's a great artist album. It's not entirely flat, but it's entirely cohesive. This is the point where you can experiment, try different things, and see what works. Try recording a mix, put it away for a few days, and then come back and listen to it. I mean, believe me, it's much easier to be objective when you're listening to your mix when you wait a while before listening to it. If you're like me, you might actually be pleasantly surprised that some of those mistakes don't sound nearly as bad as you thought they did while recording it. Alright, so in the next segment, we're going to talk about building a following. But if you're a little bit stuck on recording your first set, please feel free to check out episode 95 of our audio podcast titled Recording Mixes and Why We Don't. We talk about how to record mixes, why we do it, and what keeps us from doing it. Now, by the way, one last tip before we move on from recording mixes. Now, remember that gain control thing we talked about earlier. Make sure that you set all your audio sources to output the highest volume possible without tapping any red lights.
step seven of how to become a DJ, building a following. It's time to construct your support base, build an online presence, and show your worth. If you only want to DJ for personal enjoyment and you don't care about growing an audience, you can skip this section, but otherwise, let's carry on. So now that you've started recording mixes, you can start thinking about where to publish and share them. Now we're not going to spend too much time talking about individual platforms because as you may or may not be aware, this is actually kind of a tricky thing for DJs due to copyright law. Automated systems will take down your sets on many different sites if they detect that you're using music that doesn't belong to you. And this is a thing that's changing pretty rapidly with companies stepping in to fill the void for a while and then sometimes becoming too large in that space where they eventually end up with the same automated takedown problem. Now I will mention at least a few services. Mixcloud is a great place to start. Not only gives you a safe place to host your recordings without the fear of that automated copyright takedown, which will get you on places like YouTube and SoundCloud, but they provide embeddable players their player will display the track names in your mix as they play, which is pretty neat, and other Mixcloud users can follow you. Now they're attempting to solve this problem of video live streaming for DJs with mixed results just like everyone else. Another popular option for live streaming is Twitch. In fact, you can follow Passionate DJ on Twitch to check out our live events, twitch.tv slash passionate DJ. Now whatever system that you upload or stream to, Make sure that you're taking advantage of all their features. You know, fill everything out, put some effort into your description, add relevant tags, and maybe hire a friend to design some pretty album art. Get some honest feedback on one of your mixes from a trusted friend. Contact them directly, either in person or with a well-considered message. Tell them that you value their thoughts and that you're trying to become a better DJ. Okay, so let's talk about building an online presence. Like anything that we want to promote, building a solid online presence is critical to success. I mean, after all, we need to show people what we're doing. And that's the thing about being a modern DJ. We're our own little promo companies. But it's important not to overwhelm ourselves and distract from the actual DJing. Pick one or two social media networks to focus on at first. You know, Facebook and Instagram. Make sure that you fill out your profiles entirely and link to your mixes. I recommend eventually getting your own homepage and domain, a place to promote your personal brand that is under your full control. So here are a few very basic tips for promoting yourself on social media and elsewhere online. The first is keep content flowing. If you aren't putting any work out, nobody has a chance to notice you. Now, unfortunately, most of our work will go unnoticed. It's just the way of things. The second is don't stay silent. You also have to be consistent with posting, tweeting, sharing, you know, interacting with your followers. If you don't do that stuff, that social network's algorithm isn't really going to reward you. Now the next tip is mix it up, meaning, you know, post different kinds of content, your own work, music that you like, artwork that inspires you, stories that move you, anything that helps tell the story of you. Also mix up the different types of posts that you make. So for example, you know, Facebook text posts versus an image post versus live video. And then your fourth tip, don't spam your mixes. Sure, you have to share them, but not 50 times a day. 
Not only is this annoying, but your reach will get squashed by doing this. And then finally, give value to others. It's hard to get people to look at you, to notice your work, or to listen to your mix. So try providing the same courtesy to someone else. Maybe they'll return the favor. So now that you've chosen a platform, some hardware, and you've built a small body of work that is recorded a mix or two, let's put you in front of some actual people. Step eight, getting your first DJ gigs. Finally, now is the time to put yourself in front of some actual people. That's what it's all about. And this is probably the most crucial step in the whole process. Make yourself valuable to your scene or demographic. Now, if you're trying to break into a particular scene, you need to make yourself a resource to that scene before you expect to start playing shows. I mean, there's no specific way to approach this, but suffice it to say, if nobody knows who you are, you're not going to get many gigs. Now, early in my journey as a small town DJ, I was attempting to break into a pretty desolate scene. I mean, absolutely nothing was going on. It was crickets. So my approach was to go to a struggling nightclub and offer to promote my own event series. So I ran a monthly Thursday night for about a year. And no, it wasn't a raging success, but it got me used to club DJing, hooking up to a real PA, and, you know, small-scale promotion. In the club world, it's largely about who you know. That's just the way things often work. So befriend some like-minded people in the community and make yourself valuable to them. Find those people out there who think like you, because there's power in that synergy. It's amazing what can happen in the name of common interest. If you do it right, you'll end up with some great new friends. Start supporting their shows and gigs, and above all, think about how you can make yourself useful to them and your potential audience. But how do you gain that first bit of experience playing in front of people? Well, besides live streaming, there are a few ways. If house parties are your thing, that can be a great way to get some immediate experience under your belt. Book a few local DJs to play and sort of warm up for them. Set them up just like you were opening for a headliner. If you're getting into mobile DJing, try to think outside the box. One of my favorite places to play happens to be a consignment shop. I know, weird, right? But small fashion shows, grand openings, street fairs, these are all great options. Actually, many cities have regular nights for booking local DJs. These normally aren't paying gigs, but they can be valuable experiences. And then, of course, throwing your own night. This is a great way to gain experience and become known. Start shaking hands or handing out business cards to promoters, DJs, and friends at their events. Show them that you're willing to support them, and people will notice. So the DJ hustle never really ends. Staying humble and having a value-based approach will keep you fresh and positive. So here are a couple of quick bonus tips for getting those first DJ gigs. Now the first one is for club DJs. Make an effort to get to know the prime movers in your scene, the promoters that throw the big shows, the managers of venues, and so on. And once again, how can you be a resource to them? Next, don't just sell yourself as a DJ, sell yourself as a brand. And go back to step seven if that doesn't make sense. 
Also, you're probably going to play your share of empty rooms, so don't panic, it's just part of it. And finally, don't forget to ask. Gigs don't just fall in your lap. You've got to actually go get them. If you're feeling a bit nervous about your first gigs, that's completely understandable. There are a lot of things that could ruin your night. You know, missing an important cable or adapter or a custom mapping disaster or an unwelcomed software update. That's just a few of them. Wouldn't most of the things that can go wrong or have gone wrong be alleviated by just a little bit of foresight and preparation? Now, if you'd like to be a little bit more ready, I highly recommend checking out episode 61 of our audio podcast titled Gig Preparedness, passionatedj.com slash 61. And with all that, let's get on to our final step in the journey. So you learned some skills, curated a music library, and scored some gigs. Congratulations, you're a DJ. But if you want to be a truly great DJ, you'll never stop putting in work so that you can become an expert at your craft. Unfortunately, many DJs get stuck in the comfort zone once they're good enough. And that's why step nine of my guide on how to become a DJ is an unending step. It goes on forever, and that is honing the craft. Now that you have the basics down, let's talk a little bit about how to level up. You see, there's a lot more to DJing than just transitions. You must learn to read the crowd. That's a skill which allows you to both predict and react to an audience in order to find common musical ground. Also, make sure you know your event. When I play a fashion show, I know that I should play music that's upbeat and bouncy and doesn't have too many vocals. Now, I know when I play an underground event at a warehouse somewhere, my crowd's going to be bored to tears if I play 95 BPM trip-hop. You know, big wobbly dubstep tracks don't typically belong at a coffee shop at 8 p.m. You must realize that context is everything in the world of DJing. So the same song will have a much, much different effect depending on your time slot, venue, demographic, crowd size, and more. Make sure you put a lot of focus on music curation. Get better at finding music which reflects your unique tastes, yet works with your audience. Also, I highly recommend that you learn to play the right gigs. Decide whether or not a potential booking is actually a good fit for your style and your brand. And of course, there are going to be a number of advanced skills available for you to explore. For example, mixing harmonically or adding live elements to your set using drum machines, samplers, remix decks, uh, live musicians. Keep searching for new tools and methods to add to your bag of tricks to make yourself unique in this space. Now, while you should learn to choose appropriate gigs, you should also be versatile. Building brand is one thing, but be careful not to pigeonhole yourself. So basically, to wrap this whole thing up, here are a few final tips. Learning how to become a DJ is easy, but making a living DJing is hard. I'm not saying it can't be done, it can. But it's important to realize that you need to put in the work and that it doesn't happen overnight. Next tip is very simple. 
do what makes you happy. Also, again, don't ever move past the final step on this list. Always be improving as a human and as a DJ. Don't stagnate. Also, just as a personal side note, learn the value of subtlety. This will help you with your crowd reading, turning your sets into a journey instead of a cyclone. And finally, yes, there are a lot of DJs out there, but it doesn't matter that anyone can DJ these days. What matters is that you do it better. I mean, look, I know there's a lot to consider when deciding how to become a DJ. It can be intimidating to take all this in, but we're here to help. That's why we make this show, The Passionate DJ Podcast, where we're striving to become better DJs through passion and purpose. You can watch episodes on our YouTube channel, or you can listen on the go using your favorite podcast app. And of course, just a reminder, if you need more help, you can join our community on Facebook by just visiting passionatedj.com community. If you need some more hands-on help, there are links to our partner resources in the guide. Uh, we're pretty active on Instagram, too. You can look us up there at passionatedj. And finally, if you're trying to decide what hardware to buy, don't forget that we have the best DJ controller guide on the internet, passionatedj.com controllers. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode, and I appreciate you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much, and keep on spinning. <laughs>